Each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. Father, thank you so much for this day, uh, for a time that we really do get to set aside. Thank you for even commanding us to worship you uh, once, once a week. Um, it's something that we need to do. It's something that we don't realize our souls need. Um, it's, a, it's a time of refreshing and hearing from you that we, we desperately must have uh, in order to live rightly ordered lives. And so thank you for that gift. Help us to connect with you this evening, uh, even in a passage that sometimes uh, can be confusing or can bring up unique emotions for us. So I pray that you would guide us through this time, that your spirit would lead us, that we would honor you in our hearts and that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, I want, I want to give you a couple of assumptions. Usually when I'm preparing for these things, I like to think through uh, what some of us might assume coming in and what I'd like to see us uh, think through. And when we get done, and normally I don't tell you about that, just I just make my assumptions. But today I'm going to tell you uh, what they were. I think I have a couple of assumptions. One is we might have some misgivings around this like sowing and reaping portion of the scripture. You might have, we might have different reads on exactly what that means. Um, and the other is that we might have misgivings on getting the giving talk um, that's clearly like in, in this scripture, you know, uh, share with the one who teaches you. It's, it's a funny thing. I thought maybe as the pastor, I shouldn't do this because I'm, you know, the one it's talking about giving money to. But then I realized anybody we stick up here would be teaching. And so then they, you know, there's no way around it, really. You can't, can't really get away from it. And, uh, and so it's, a, it's an interesting thing to talk about. And I assume for, for us, there's, we may, maybe all have different journeys with getting the giving talk. So I hope that where we end up is seeing this, this giving question less as a, like a guilt trip, but more as a tool to use to look at, at our own hearts um, and that, it, that you would see it as a, as a way to really be filled with joy, that it would be um, that there'd be a gift uh, in the giving. So I hope we see that, and I hope that you come away with a deeper understanding of what this scripture says. Um, here's how I'm going to go about it. Uh, the, the first idea is I just want to give you the bare teaching of the passage, and I think we see it on the front and back end of the section we read today. I think they're kind of bookends, and that the stuff in the middle, I think there's kind of a warning and a principle, and you get the motive for all this in the middle, but the, the teaching kind of bookends the two sides of this. And I want to show you that teaching first, just kind of give it to you, and then get into that warning principle and motive. So, yeah, here we go. That's what, that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to read the teaching. I'm going to kind of extract that middle part just for a second so you can see it together. This is verses essentially 5, 6, and 10. And uh, in our English translation, it kind of fails us because it sticks five up in the previous idea and you don't normally connect it, but the Greek uh, does connect it. 
So it says each will have to bear his own load, and then you would connect it. Each will have to bear his own load, but let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So essentially what we're being taught, just to work this out, um, each one will have to bear his own load. There's this level of individual responsibility we have in our lives. This actually goes back to what John taught last, year, uh, last week, uh, back to verse 4, where we have to test our own work. So we have gone through this whole book of Galatians. We've read what was called the fruit of the Spirit, which are these traits of the Spirit-filled life um, that are kind of one thing. And so f- flowing out of that, we should, be, we should be looking at that. We should be assessing our heart, uh, utilizing that rubric, like, how is my heart? Um, how, do I, how do I live in step with the Spirit? And so we have some responsibility in that. So this is kind of pointing to that and, and referring to that. We have to bear our own load, our own responsibility to some degree. And then it says, uh, essentially, that we also have a communal responsibility. And this is referring back to verse 2 of chapter 6 that said, bear one another's burdens. These aren't mutually exclusive ideas. Um, We are to bear one another's burdens, uh, to really work for the good of fellow believers and fellow people uh, in the world, Um, but at the same time, we should be looking at our own hearts and assessing ourselves. So Paul uh, takes this idea and and expands it out and says, share with those who work um, in teaching, and and I would say like enriching your faith, Um, so, so share with them, and then he says, and then share with everyone, and now he's, this is including just all humanity, and then clarifies especially, or you could say starting with, uh, the household of faith or your own spiritual community. So you should be the type of person that shares with everyone, starting with your own spiritual community, and then maybe especially those who are investing in your spiritual life. So we Christians, that's the teaching, should share our resources um, that word share, by the way, is, is interestingly, when you look at it throughout the New Testament, it's always um, everywhere else connected with money so that it's, it's not merely like, you know, if you go out to eat, give people some of your fries, which is, I appreciate that. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's talking about funds. It's, it, it is almost always associated with money, especially to those who engage in teaching and, and leading you in your faith. So there you go. We should share time, money, talents. Um, You'll notice here that encouragement is not to churches. It's to the one being taught. So that's an encouragement to you or to me every time I sit back down, right? Um, It's it's not like churches should have a deacon's fund. I think they should. But this is talking to us, each one of us. So now I want to share my hang-up. And, um, and I'm assuming we all have our own versions of this. Some of you probably are just like, I love giving away my money, and, and you guys are great. Um, but for the rest of us who, to whom this is a little bit uncomfortable, uh, I'll, I'll give you my hang-up so you know. Um, I, I have a major one. I grew up uh, probably, I mean, you could say upper lower class or lower middle class. We lived in a single-wide mobile home. My family never saved. Uh, when we got down to sending me to college, or that idea, there was $2.56 in an account for me to go to college. And it's kind of like an act of just, I don't know, sheer 
mockery of the whole thing. I took my college fund, figured out what cheeseburger I could buy with it, and ate my college fund. So I actually did that. Um, so I watched my family kind of, that, that's, that was our financial state. Um, and we would watch the prosperity preachers on television, and I would hear this principle, right? This, you sow, sow and reap, you know? And, and my parents, the way they took that was we're in bad financial shape. It must be because we're not trusting God enough. So if we scrape together what we can, give it to the millionaire with the jet, and this is, you're feeling my angst, okay? And these aren't entirely bad people. This is just how it felt for me. We gave them way more than ever ended up in my college fund, right? And, uh, and so I have a hard time with the giving talk because I've heard it on television many times and, uh, and it never had the, the payoff, right? Or so it seemed. Now, it didn't even hit me how much that bothered me. I wasn't, I wasn't even coming into this thinking about that. And then I read, I was reading several commentaries on this passage trying to make sure I was kind of getting it right. And I read Luther's, Martin Luther's. And Martin Luther has this whole section. He goes on a rampage in a way, which is a very Martin Luther thing to do. But he had come out of the Roman Catholic Church, and he, I guess, had sworn to himself that he would tell people to keep their money and not give to the church because he had seen the the Roman Catholic Church of his day taking the money of the poor, building these massive edifices, you know, the, the popes and the, and the priests are living like kings. And this is kind of his own words. And, you know, and the choirs and all the things, well, all the people funding this are just starving, right, on the street. And he had watched this and he had resolved to not teach people to give to the church or not to press it. And then um, he, he deals with this scripture in Galatians. And he said, I, I had decided not to teach it. But then with time, uh, because the Roman church eventually uh, disposed of Luther and almost killed him, um, but with time, he started to run these little churches and try to invest into studying the word outside of the Roman church. And he started to realize, you know what's hindering our work? is this lack of resources. All of a sudden, he realized like that experience within the Roman Catholic Church was not the experience of all faithful believers everywhere. It was unique. Um, that there's a flip side. That there's a flip side to where the work can be hindered uh, by lack of support. And he, and he discovered something, and it was a really interesting long reflection. But he said, these poor people I observed, they would give to the edifice, to the big church. But then when it came down to we're, we're trying to like bring them the salvation of their souls and we're trying to minister to them one-on-one, all of a sudden they stopped giving. And he speculated that to some degree they must have given to what impressed them. Even in their poverty, and when something wasn't impressive, it just didn't click uh, anymore. And, and I've, seen this, uh, I've seen this to be true. Our, like I said, our family living in the trailer park, you know, the big, the TV ministry, we, somehow we scraped it up to give. I don't even know how we did it sometimes. 
And then I've thought about myself and, and my life and the other believers I know, and I thought, you know what the truth is? We all are giving. We're all giving to something. Um, and probably kind of like those people in Luther's day who gave to the thing that, that was impressive and that they desired to worship, I think we all give to what we worship. Um, sometimes it's spiritual like you know, or a, a religious organization, or, or sometimes it's not. And you all have heard from both Nick and I preaching here, you know, James K.A. Smith stuff. If you've been around for a while, I know we've already told you about his books. But James K.A. Smith, author, um, philosopher, he has a book called You Are What You Love, and it made me think right back to some of the stuff he teaches in there. We all follow religious liturgies. We all have temples, and they all demand that we give to them. And we often don't see how religious they are, but think about it. Entertainment, right? Sports. I mean, some of you saw on our trip, we went to the wild card game at Dodger Stadium. And you, I mean, they don't even, there is no people, a guy, I kid you not, on the bus, he said this, we're going to the temple. And, and people aren't even unclear on it anymore, right? And it is huge. And they just added a multi-million dollar sound system that I'd never seen there before. And like a food truck. I mean, people give to Dodger Stadium, right? And all the others. Um, the theater, your gamer cave. <laughs> did, I, did I hit a nerf? Um, we give, right? The academy, the university, right? How many of those are getting smaller? I mean, even with all the online learning, I mean, there are temples, there are rituals. We give. The government. I just had, I went to D.C. for the first time this year, and, you know, I'm riding a little scooter. I was there for two total hours. And I'm just like, Bzzz. but I'm just like, temple, 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 like, right? And we give, even if it's not to the government, to what we think should be the government. It, we give to that. Um, here's one that Smith didn't, didn't say, but I was trying to come up with a category, and, and you could talk to me later about if this is any good. Pain management. I think this could, a lot of things could come under here. Our meds, our therapy, our drugs, our alcohol, our recreation. All the things we do, they say, I need this or else I'm going to feel pain. We just got, we just seriously, Michaela and I just watched the Don Wall at home. This guy, I mean, he's the guy who, who climbs El Capitan. He's trying to get away from his pain. That's the whole point, right? Now, none of these things are all wrong. Even you could take the one like drugs. Well, my wife's in the medical field. They're not all wrong. They have a place, Right? Therapy has a place. Recreation. We need rest. I've been going to baseball games because I, I spent like 10 years not doing anything fun. And I realized I need to do something fun. So they have their place. But things get disordered. So I've got a little slide up here, and I just wanna, I want us to ask the question. I've been trying to ask myself this question. Um, yeah, based on my bank ledger, what do I worship? If you, were to, if you were to take a look, if you were to open your bank app and say, bank app, tell me what I worship. Where do I give? 
you know, what would be your top three? And then, and then what else? I, you may not be able to, you could think about this later. It's just, a, this is a tool, right? And then to ask, where do those who like invest in me spiritually, fellow believers, and others in need in general, where do they fall on the list of, you know, what do they, what does the amount given to them say about what I worship? Um, I have a feeling this, I mean, when, when I started thinking about this, do you know what, what verse popped into my mind? Their God is in their stomach. When I thought about us, I was like, food. We buy, we buy food. And, and I'm not saying this to be like guilt. I'm like, let's all try <laughs> to think about this, right? The word opportunity, if you need to take a picture of that or write it down, we'll leave it up for a second. But in the scripture, there's, there's this word, you know, opportunity, this idea of, of opportunity. Um, actually, not, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That, that word is assumptive that we do have opportunity. Um, it's saying, when it says, as we have opportunity, it's not like, if you have opportunity, it's, it's assumptive, you do. Since you do have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. Paul's saying, look, look at the opportunities and choose to order this in a way that, that shapes your heart, that teaches you what to worship. We have places to give. Um, and, and we should choose to worship God by sharing our money, our resources, and our time, um, especially because this is how we embody the gospel. See, this whole book of Galatians has been about the gospel. And what I wouldn't want to do is I wouldn't want to come to you and say, hey, this is how you become a good Christian, because the book of Galatians has said, and it was using the issue of circumcision, right? But there's nothing you can do to be more accepted in Jesus than what you've already received. You've received from him grace upon grace. You've received everything you have. You don't need to do any more to be accepted. The thing is, how do you embody what Jesus has done for you? Jesus has been a giving God. He's given you everything that you have. He's given me everything that I have. How do we embody that and live that out? He's given us life, breath, our things, our time, our talents in Jesus, forgiveness, mercy, and we don't deserve these gifts, um, which is why we should look at what we've been given and say, I can give to those who don't deserve anything from me. Look, I, um, I know, so in our family, just to be really honest here, like we have, we have made less than like a typical salary doing ministry for a long time. Any of you know I do bivocational stuff when we started the church, we, um, we counted that cost. It's not like we started it and went, hey, hopefully the money's rolling in. We started it and we said the type of people we want to do ministry with probably aren't either in the habit or don't have the resources to give like other churches. So we're going to have to, we're going to, have to be creative. We, we knew that was going to be the case. And we also um, tried to stay in the habit of giving ourselves. And we know like, it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're not rolling in the dough right? Um, but so coming from there, like this is something we've tried to be committed to, and we know that you're, you don't always have a ton, but I look at our younger leaders here, here at Mission, 
um, some of the people that like we're, we're raising up, and I mean really just our whole team and the people we're sending out and church planting, and I wonder how much more our influence could be if they could afford to have insurance from the church and to save for the future, like it would be, it would be a big deal. My, in our family, we have done without those things and it took up some of our headspace. So just think about that. Just be aware of that. And we are trying, um, and I say this even as just our family, to be committed to that with you. Like, I would never ask you to give when we don't do the same. And, and I would just encourage you to think, I mean, like, we've got John who just got ordained, and he's, you know, we're so excited about what he could do. It's kind of funny, Zach isn't here. He was, you know, he's been pursuing this kind of Anglican thing, and we've done a bunch of Anglican joking around with Zach. But we just, Zach just decided he's actually going to stay at mission for a while instead of making that transition we talked about. Here's another like young, passionate, evangelistic leader, Danny, who's like invested a lot of her time in administration. And, and you know, Mike and I are our version of old guys, but we've still got, you know, a few years ahead of us, I think, you know, to, to invest in this. Like, get behind us so we can push this mission forward. Like, we're trying to engage with our city, our, our community. We have great missionaries in the field. You can go look at our budget and see, like, people that we sent out of our church. It's a pretty cool list when you think about that we sent them out of here. We'd like to give them more. We have ideas for local leadership development and community engagement. Help us do this. Like, and then look for opportunities for just individual helping of others. Like, please, and no, we're committed to it as well. We're committed to giving back even to that ourselves, okay? That could be the sermon. I just, that, that was the main idea, and I gave you some little application. I'm, I'm trying to say, we have people that want to serve Jesus. One of the hangups, like Luther was saying, is resources. But now there's, there's more to this. This warning, God is not mocked. Now that gets kind of gnarly, doesn't it? What's that all about? Doesn't that sound like a guilt trip? God is not mocked, you know? Good time for me to take a drink. Just let that one soak in. Now let, let's dig into that for a second. It says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap. Now clearly this idea that God is not mocked follows the idea that you should share with those who teach you all these good things that, that you have. And it leads to this logical question. How is not giving to like my spiritual teacher mocking God? How exactly does that work? And there's two ways. The first is a princ the principle of this that we're going to look at in a moment. So I'm just going to put that one off for a second, the reaping what you sow principle. But the second, and the reason this follows the idea of sharing all good things, is this fact that God is the owner of all the good things we think that we own. God is the owner of all the things we think that we own. We are stewarding God's resources. And a lot of Christians 
would say, we believe this, right? If you've done a Dave Ramsey class, this has been told to you, right? Or, or Crown Financial or any of those things. We're stewarding God's resources. But if we look at that bank balance sheet, does that belief translate into reality? That's, the, that's like the nitty-gritty question I want us to ask. Like, is that something we say or is it something that we live now, I know we're a smaller group, but sometimes people come here who are just exploring faith, and you're not, even, you're not even so sure about all this, right? And then I would say, just in, in that where if you're exploring faith, maybe you've had thoughts like, I believe in equal access of resources to all people, right? Um, I believe that the earth belongs to everyone. Okay, does your bank balance sheet reflect that belief? Or does it bear out another truth? And then, what do you do when others don't deserve your money? What about the 50% of the country you don't agree with? Right? Is the world theirs? Equal access for them? Um, What about those who are crooked? Or those who aren't contributing anything themselves? Just for another baseball metaphor, I had a guy... In our store yesterday, who was, I was wearing a sports hat, and he was like, I can't wait for the Astros to lose, cheaters, right? And, uh, and me, being the very spiritual one that I am, I said, I said, I think we feel like that about a lot of people in our world, don't we? And he said, yeah. He said, if the Astros win, they get redemption. For those of you who don't know, they they were caught cheating a couple years ago when they won the World Series. Okay? If the Astros win, they get redemption. He said, I don't want that for anybody. All of a sudden, this is a nice guy, by the way. Like, I did not, and there were like wives and people, in the, and they, we all like turned around. I think it was hitting him as he said, he's like, oh. Okay. And then I just, I, I texted Andrew Udarian because he's going for the Braves. And I was like, I think, I think God's calling me to root for the Astros now. Like, and that's why, because I was like, I have to do this for redemption. But we have, we have a hard time, like, is, does the earth, do all things belong to the Astros? Like, do the crooked, you know, how do you decide who is worthy of equal access um, others might say, well, I believe more in the principle of it's all on you, you get what you deserve. Okay, fair enough. How do you account for the numerous ways in which that doesn't bear out? The, the child that's born in poverty, who's never, he's, he's never going to have a chance to get educated and pull himself by, up by his own bootstraps. It's, it's never going to happen. Or the rich punk who's you know, born into it all, right? Like, how do you, it doesn't always bear out. And the beautiful thing the Bible offers is things like Psalm 24, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then Jesus, who tells us, you know, whatever you've done for the least of of my brothers, or people, people who are in prison, people who are naked, people who are hungry, whatever you've done for them, I tell you, you've done it to me. What that teaches us is, if everything belongs to the Lord and every act of generosity that we do is actually doing it for God at the heart, we no longer serve others 
on the merit system. And we can even live through being taken advantage of. It doesn't mean you try. It doesn't mean you're, you're not careful. But it means you don't have to be callous because when you've truly given to God who already owns everything, you, you get to just be a steward who, who is free. And if, something, if somebody takes advantage of you or you give to somebody who's unworthy, they have taken advantage of God. And, and that doesn't go undealt with. Uh, years ago, when I was in my 20s, um, or even, I might have even been like 18 or 19, uh, I, was, I had one of my early church jobs. Yeah, I would, have been, I would have been 19. And a guy called the church, and he was like, I'm really struggling with my faith. I need to talk. And I, I'm like, yes, you know, like kind of young minister guy, like, whoo, this is my day. And I go and meet with this guy. We met down by the U of A, and he was just like, and he, and he kind of did this whole thing about how, you know, Christians say they would do anything to follow Jesus. I've just never seen it. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, totally. That's totally what happens, you know? And, and he's like, so what about you? Like, what would you do? Like, what if I asked you for all the money in your bank account? All right. Fortunately for me, at age 19, I'm just going to let you into my, I had 400 bucks. I pulled it and gave it to him. And he was like, He's like, I'm coming to your church. He's like, I'm going to bring you back your money. And he didn't, right? Um, now, my pastor, and so then I'm like, I'm like, oh, what do I do, you know? And, uh, and my pastor, the next week, I told him about it at church, and he goes, Andy, don't ever do that again. <laughs> but then he was like, but I'm so stinking proud of you, you know? And that was, that was a pretty big moment for me, because it's, and, and did God take care of me through that? Yeah, but like, yeah, I got conned. I totally got fooled, right? I did. But there was something to giving it to Jesus. And that's kind of where my pastor ended up taking me. He said, I, th I think you gave it to Jesus. Like, don't be angry at people. Don't, don't stop giving your heart, right? God's in charge of the justice. We are responsible for the stewarding. The, the, the question becomes, something completely different. The question is, will you act like it's your stuff, your money? Because that's how God is mocked. When we act like we own our money or own our own lives, when we live as if sowing into ourselves should reap us a harvest of contentment and peace and joy here and in eternity, that's when we mock God. That, that doesn't even work, by the way. Um, Speaking of Andrew Udarian, he did a podcast recently with his kind of financial guy I listened to. And, and here's a guy who's just saying, look, based on being, I know the back end of people's money, the amount of money they have doesn't make them happy. It's something else. It's something else entirely. God is mocked when we pretend it's not something else. When we pretend like what we own can truly bring us the harvest that we hope. Um, Here's an example of how this works. Think about what God asks of us when he asks us to give to one another and to others. So this building, here's an example. Look around the building. You know, there's a couple reasons we have it. Number one, a bunch of you, when we got really excited about this place, buckled down and were like, I can give to that. And that was amazing. And, and thank you. Like, it's been such a gift. But then another big portion happened because 
We were entrusted with someone else's money. So someone gave us a loan. A private party gave us a loan, okay? And what that is, is in, in a sense, they gave us a huge amount of their money and said, you hold it by purchasing this building, and what do they expect? Now, this was a good lender. They let us look at fair interest rates and all that kind of stuff. This is a good lender. Been very generous and kind. What do they expect? They expect us to give them back every single dollar that they gave us, plus the interest, right? That's what they expect. They don't, they're not saying, hey, why don't you take my blank big sum and give me back 10% of that? They say, give me back every single bit of it, plus some. I want my money to grow, right? That, that's what we're used to. I mean, if you use a credit card, they're gonna, what are they going to do? Give me back part of that. You know, Hey, you go buy a new wardrobe. Give me back 30% of the money. You keep the rest. Enjoy. No. They're going to say, give me back every single bit of that. And then 15 to 20% or more, right? That's, that's what we expect. That's what we understand. Now, think about God here. God who you know, he has given us everything that we have, right? The Psalm 24, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Um, Deuteronomy 8 says this, like when the, when the people of Israel had come out of, they'd come out of slavery and they're going to build their new society and they're going to build wealth and build cities. God tells them in Deuteronomy 8, he says, by the way, when you go and you do all that and you build all that, remember this, I gave you the ability to even earn money. Like, I took you out of slavery. I created you. Everything you have, including the ability you have to build your wealth, I gave you. Jesus frames, um, you know, our participation in the kingdom, our lives as part of the kingdom of God, and says that we are like, we're like managers, of the resources of somebody else. God owns everything, even what you earn, right? And, and so God owns it all, and he entrusts us with every single thing that we have, and what does he ask for back? You know, if you look at the Old Testament, 10%. Not, not 100 plus 10%, not all of it plus 10, just 10%. He said, I give you everything that you own just as an act of worship to acknowledge that I've given you everything, how about you give me this 10% to keep you anchored in the fact that I am the one who's given you everything. And, and we say here at this church that we, we don't even teach like a total tithe principle coming out of the New Testament. You'll never hear us saying, you know, go and definitely do 10% because we see a couple things. We see in the New Testament at the temple, Jesus witnesses the widow's might. Luke 21, 1-4, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything that she had. Jesus is essentially saying, 10% isn't even, it's, it's about your heart, it's about what you have. So what that means is if you, you know, you're, you're paying your bills and you've got like that one penny 
God knows, you know, and, but still, like, as an act of worship, consider what to do with that penny, right? But then at the same time, if you're living out of abundance, like, if you are doing very well, and the amount that you give just kind of fits well with the narrative that I want to be a generous person, um, or I don't want the church to, like, look sideways at me or something like that, I mean, it doesn't require any trust from the Lord or any worship, you might want to might want to reread that under that lens. Like, what does that mean for me and the mission of God on this earth? So we're not teaching a tithe principle here. We just we want to ask you to look at this idea of giving, and really ask, how could I give in such a way that it would reorder my worship and deepen my faith and teach my soul that God is a good giver that doesn't demand everything back from me. He just wants me to worship him. Okay? Now, the principle that you, you reap what you sow, this is going to lead into the motive, and this is, this is how we descend the plane. Um, I don't know about you, but when I hear this principle, I hear you get what you deserve. How about you? Is that what you hear? When I hear you reap what you sow, I hear you get what you deserve. It can feel kind of blunt and cold. Um, Job's friend, actually, if you, if you go hunting, like where does reap and sow show up in the Bible? It's all over the place. I read you one from Psalm 126, you know, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And so, but it's, it's all over throughout the Bible. But Job's friend in, in uh, Job 4.7, he uses it kind of in the blunt, cold way, like, why are you being punished by God? You must have done bad things. That's that. You reap what you sow. But that, God doesn't come along and agree with that, actually, in Job. What it is, it's a creation principle. You think, about, think about the root of it, right? God has given us all the plants of the earth for food. You sow corn, what, do you, what grows? Corn. You sow corn, you get corn, right? By extension, you sow in season, you reap in season. There's like laws of nature. If you try to sow corn while the, while the earth is frozen, it won't work. So you... You kind, of, you kind of have to learn like the, the laws. I sow this kind of seed, I get this kind of harvest. I sow at, on time, I reap in time. There's some basic principles here. It's this immutable principle in a sense that there are, there are rules and laws. When you invest in this, you get this. When you invest at the right time, you get a good return. And the Bible then expands it into spiritual realities. It says God's immutable principles that we see here on earth have corresponding spiritual truths, essentially. In Hosea 8, you see God using this idea, and he's warning here of idolatry, of worshiping anything created over the creator. And he's saying, you're sowing the wind, and you'll reap the whirlwind. Your, your standing grain has been stripped of its heads. It will yield no flower. Now, he's not talking about actual farming there. He's now, what, what is Hosea talking about in Hosea 8? Here, it's about their worship, they're taking their silver and their gold. Instead of honoring the Lord with it, they're assembling idols with it. And then he says that they are, they are worshiping kings and princes that God knows not. He's talking, what's he talking? He's talking about their idolatry and their politics in that case. He's saying this immutable principle that you see working out in, in how the, the earth bears fruit is also true in our spiritual lives. So the, the principle transfers, okay? 
from the natural world to the spiritual. If you want spiritual harvest, and what kind of things are we hoping for, right? Spiritually, what do you hope for? We want, right, we hope itself. I think many, we want hope. We want peace. We want comfort in life and death. We want a, a relationship with God. We want to know that God is there, that he hears our prayers, right? Um, that we have a meaning in our life, that we have purpose, um, that what we do isn't just wasted, that we're loved, that we're known. But that those are things we want. Those are benefits. That we want to experience that. How do you, what do you do? Well, you take this principle. You invest in spiritual things. You take, you take your life, your time, your money, your resources, your gifts, your abilities, invest it into spiritual things, and that will yield. That is what you will get, okay? And why, would, why do you teachers of your church factor into this? Well, the idea is the teachers of your church are investing in that side of you. That's the simple answer. And why give to others, right? Because it's a way that God has given us to serve him. God doesn't need anything, right? He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. What that means, do you think there's 1,000 hills and the cattle on those 1,000? No, his point is, I own every single cattle there is. So he's talking to Israelites like, you're going to make a sacrifice of a cow? Do you think it's because I need the cow? I don't need the cow. I need your heart. I want you to worship me. I don't need the cow, right? So that's why when we give to others, we're giving to him. He doesn't need stuff. People need stuff. It's a way to worship him. Now, the opposite, of course, in investing in those things is investing in that which does not last, right? We just got back from Oregon. Uh, we went there on a trip to my mom to show us her special places from her life. Uh, my mom's 83 and wanted to see some of these places. And one of them was Astoria, Oregon. So Astoria is famous for what? The Goonies, right? The movie The Goonies was filmed in Astoria. So we got to see where The Goonies was filmed, and we got to see some of the fake treasure of One-Eyed Willie. So we watched The Goonies this week, right? Of course. And this is, this is Goonies stuff. This, the opposite side is you become One-Eyed Willie. And right, what happens? The kids find the map. The, there's a pirate ship filled with treasure, and they, they make their way through further than anybody has ever been. And what do they find? They find the treasure and One-Eyed Willie's corpse, right? He has died with his things. It's one of those classic moments, right, of you can't take it with you, right? Clearly, One-Eyed Willie is dead. The treasure is still in the boat. And the kids don't end up with it all. They just get one little bag, but they still save the goondocks, right? And there you go, the goonies. And of course, everybody knows this. It's kind of classic tale, right? You don't need the Bible to tell you you can't take it with you. Country songs tell you, pop songs tell you, you know, there's, there's plenty of it out there. Any musical genre will tell you. Hollywood can teach you to go after your bucket list, all that, right? Now, the Goonies take it a little bit deeper because I don't know how many of you guys are in the Goonies, but, but, you know, here's Mikey and the Goonies. There's a little bit of a taste of something here, right? If I found One-Eyed Willie's rich stuff, I'd pay all my dad's bills then maybe he could go to sleep at night instead of sitting up trying to figure out a way to, for all of us to stay here. 
least he wants to do it for his dad, right? He's doing it for somebody else. But, and that's, and that's a fine motive, and anybody can give you that motive, right? Like, you can't take it with you, so you might as well do something nice for somebody else, right? But then, for those of you who came to our pig movie night, I've got another movie layer, because that story is right on the coast. And there's tsunami warning stuff all over the place. So if you came to the movie Pig, Robin said this about Portland in the movie. He's sitting down with a young man whose father is wealthy and owns an amazing restaurant. This guy just wants to succeed. And he's talking about how his dad's business is amazing. And and Robin looks at him, and Robin's all disheveled. He's this guy who's almost got killed. And he says, people first came here 10,000 years ago. We would have been under 400 feet of water 10,000 years ago. Every 200 years, we get an earthquake right along the coast. One's coming up. When the shockwave hits, most of the city will flatten. Every bridge will fall into the Willamette. So there's nowhere to go, even if we could. Anyone who survives that will just be waiting. Five minutes later, they'll look up and see a wave 10 stories high. And then all this, everyone, is going to be at the bottom of the ocean again. You should really use stale bread for French toast. There you go. In essence, right, saving the goondocks, saving your home in Astoria, or getting rich and respected in a cool city like Portland is of little importance in the very near future when the tidal wave hits, right? Maybe not even in our lifetimes. It will literally be underwater, right? Tucsonans are like, we might get beachfront property. George Strait's song might come true for those of you who listen to country. Um, so what, is, what do we do with that? Like, okay, so you can't take it with you, so, you should, so just do nice things with it. But those nice things might all be destroyed, right? They will probably be all destroyed. I've been in some kind of like climate conversations because we're trying to do a tree planting out here. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to think that all things are going to be destroyed. Everybody thinks it's all going to be destroyed. Literally, everybody's just planning for it. But if we are eternal souls... If we aren't just fooling ourselves when we say that lives matter or that our work is important or that life is worth investing in or that people have intrinsic value or that our consciences point to an eternal consciousness, if there is a God, that is to say, right? If If there's more, if there's a God who has made himself known, then we should live our lives greatly invested into things that last past the tidal wave, and especially past the end of our short lives. So then what lasts? What is that, right? Our relationship with God, absolutely, including what's done for others, right? Like I've said, everything that you've done for others, we've done for for Jesus. So that has some eternal significance, especially investing in others' faith, But I would add to that good works, works that honor God. 1 Corinthians 3.13 talks about this idea that all of our works at the end of our lives will be tested by fire. And that's this idea of refining everything that we've done with our lives will be measured as to its value, whether it passes through the fire or doesn't. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians was speaking of his investment into their faith, which is of massive 
massive importance. And I, and I want to encourage that. I think in a church like ours, we really need to say, we need to invest in one another's faith. Like, it should become high, high, high priority. But I want to add a layer to this, because I think there's an important one, because sometimes when we hear invest in, in, in each other's faith, there are all these other parts of our lives, right? We're going to school, we're trying to learn, we're going to work, we have to keep the house from having termites, we have to clean the yard. Like, what about all of that? Like, that takes up so much of our life. Is that all just pointless? Is that nothing? And I think we need to remember the vision of the book of Revelation. And, and if you haven't read it, you should. In the book of Revelation, the city of God, like, just imagine this craziness. The city of God descends onto the earth, and the dwelling of God is with people. Like, I don't know how that happens, right? It doesn't really explain it. It just says, a day's coming when the city of God descends onto the earth. And I want you just to think about this. I know I've said this here before, but what's in the city, right? You read about it. the streets are, are paved with gold. There are gates for all of the apostles, right? Like there's, a, there's, you know, there, there's windows, there's doors, what does that mean? Why are, the, why are there gates for one for every apostle? Because they worked on this earth investing in the spiritual lives of all of us. But what does it mean that there's streets and gates and windows? I mean, don't you realize that when God put us in the garden and he stewarded everything to us, there were no streets, there were no gates, there were no cities, we made those. When God comes down to the earth, he comes in a city, which is something we made, with streets, which is something we figured out. I have to think that the infrastructure there is beautiful, that the trees are planted and trimmed well. Things we figured out with his resources how to do. How, how does this work? I don't know, but somehow... When our works glorify and magnify God, they last. There's the famous quote, only one life so soon shall pass, only what's done for Christ shall last. And, and I don't know the intent of the quote, but it shouldn't be just praying and preaching because there's a massive portion of our lives outside of that that isn't pointless. The point is invest in doing things to the honor and glorify of Jesus and to magnify his name, to make him central, to make him beautiful. I had an interesting opportunity to do this. It was on Friday, and I didn't even see it coming until 30 minutes before. I'm doing a presentation with the city about planting these trees and doing this stormwater harvesting. And there was a slide, and they asked me to answer the question, what is your motive for pursuing sustainability? And it hit me. I have a chance to actually say my motive. And it was like, do I take it or do I just, you know, because it's good for the earth. I do like that it's good for the earth. But I thought that's not all of my motive. And so like in like 15 minutes, I was like, all I knew is I watched Ken Burns National Parks and the song, This Is My Father's World 
is on underneath so much of that show. And I thought, I'll bet some of these people have seen that show. And I'm going to tell them about this song, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to help them see it. And, and this is my father's world. It talks, it's written by uh, um, Babcock was his last name. I'm forgetting his first. But he would go on walks in upstate New York, and he would say to his wife, I'm going into my father's world. And he wrote a poem. And after his death, they turned it into a song. And he talks about the leaves and the grass and just these beautiful things that the wonders of God had brought about in the earth. And in the end of it, he said, let the earth be glad. So I just, I told the people in the meeting, I said, we believe that all of this is a gift and that one of the ways that we can honor the one who gave it to us is to make it glad, to make it beautiful, to make it better because joy is the most powerful motive of the heart. Like, it's not a powerful enough motive to say it's all going to rust and corrode. That is, you know, okay. Like, oh, it's all going to go away. Bummer. Or the guilt that often gets, like, in kind of, like, outside of Christ. Like, what do you do? I mean, I heard many times in other presentations, you know, I just don't want to leave a destroyed world to my children. That's, that's a motive. It's real. But think about the motive of letting the earth be glad so that God will be filled with pleasure. To say, like, let the earth be glad because someday God's coming back and the city of God is going to descend and we're going to go in and out of it and freely drink from the river of living water and his grace. It's a powerful motive of the heart. And that's why we give, that's why we invest, is to like let the earth be glad, let others be glad, to praise the Lord, to magnify his name. I mean, I'm, I really think everything we do, going to work every day, every tree we plant, every time we help somebody that has just a small need can be a way of magnifying the Lord. And I think if we see it that way, our witness of the kingdom will grow exponentially and will match our words about what we say is important. On that note, I want to invite you also to think of what Jesus has done for us. How do, how do these things all come together? Think about when Jesus gave spiritually, he gave physically, right? I mean, when Jesus and his disciples walked around the earth, they, they made a collection, they carried, they gave to those who, who had need. But even greater than that, Jesus, in, in his attempt to love us spiritually, he, he gave his entire self. He was a man of sorrows. He didn't have a place to lay his head, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He makes those of us who don't deserve the city of God worthy by his gracious gift of his physical life, and we get to do the same. When we give help, when we invest in spiritual things, when we speak of the gospel, we give physically from what he has given us spiritually. And all of this is fueled by having been given grace by a good God. This is why the scriptures tell us that God loves a joyful giver. It speaks of Jesus, of his kingdom, of who he is. So as you think about these things, uh, we're going to go into a time of confession. And I really hope that for you, this isn't a time of like, oh, no, I don't give enough. 
I hope for you this is a time to really say, I, I hope all of us can come to the place in our, in our journey with Jesus where we say, I want to love you more. I want, I want to acknowledge everything you've given me. I want to give back to you because you've given me 100% and you haven't asked for even close to that back. I want to be a person who worships you. Help me to order my life, my finances, my time accordingly. So take this two minutes to have whatever conversation you need to have with God about that. And then we'll exit out of that time of confession with, with singing. Um, we always say giving's in the back. I feel like I have to say it this time, right? Because we've been talking about it the whole time. But we have our little giving iPad in the back. But that's, we, we frame it in this time because it is supposed to be an act of worship. Um, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I hope that, that any giving or generosity that you do today or any other day will be fueled by what happens here, by seeing that Jesus gave everything for me spiritually, physically. Um, everything I have is from him. I want your souls to be refreshed by it. So let's pray, and we'll take two minutes to just come before Jesus. Father, thank you for this church, uh, for the many ways they've been extremely generous. I, I do think, even just in our short journey, um, there, was, there was a day when we started this church where we, we wanted to give to others, and, uh, and there was no money to pay anybody, um, at least for my, for my background here, for my, um, before the merger. And you've provided in so many incredible ways, and you've used the people in this room and others um, to, to contribute to that and to give. And every neighbor we've talked to, every service project we've done, uh, when we were able to help people uh, during the pandemic, these were all... Um, possible because, God, you put your resources in people's hands and people here chose to worship you with them. So I pray that they wouldn't feel guilt. I pray that no one would feel um, pressure. I pray that they would feel excited and motivated to keep investing in the kingdom. I pray for our uh, younger leaders who are looking at ways to, ways to get by and grow. I pray that you'd provide for them. I pray that you would make their ministry powerful. I pray for this church. Um, you, gave us, you gave us this place. You gave us this neighborhood. You gave us this building. Help us to, to be a city on a hill here. Help the people who interact with us to truly see something deep. Um, help them to see the kingdom. Help them to to really be compelled by you, Jesus, and what you've done and the ways that you're working in our lives by our ability to be broken people, given grace and serving others. So lead us in confession that we might come close to your heart and know your grace and freely give out of your abundance.